In the Perspectrum podcast, we discuss controversial topics. Outside of this context, Michael and I are both working professionals. While doing the show, we are not acting as agents or representatives of our respective institutions. And none of the views that we express reflect the outlooks of our employers. So don't come to my office and throw toilet paper at me. And I don't have an office, but don't come to my cube. Hello and welcome to the Perspectrum. I'm Michael Bloom. And I'm Nathan Seelove. We have a great episode lined up for you tonight. We yeah. will start by diving into uh, the deep well of Donald Trump's just unfathomably ridiculous and long list of investigations and cases against him at this point. Like it, like we hear about some that are in the news, but like literally the number of like guides and trackers that are out there are like too numerous to mention because it's like we can't all keep track of this it's like there's too much going on it's crazy yeah. Yeah. he is our it most is, criminal president it is he is he is he's broken he's broken the machine like mm-hmm. the machine that keeps track of them it just it just maxed out like you yeah. know how you know how um if you use a calculator eventually if you if you like you know when you were a kid and you were playing around with calculators and you mm-hmm. tried to put in like the biggest number possible and you kept yep. multiplying it multiplying it multiplying yep. it and and after a certain point the calculator was just like fuck you I'm not doing this yeah, anymore yeah yeah exactly that that <laughs> that is the tracker for Trump's legal troubles right now <laughs> etc is <laughs> like yeah totally so that's our first segment and our second segment we're going to be talking about a bill that is uh currently making its way through Congress although with varying levels of speed which is about um the uh use of social media by kids and mm. This segment should be pretty interesting because we brought it up, but Nathan and I have not discussed at all the 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 contents of the bill or what we think about it. So, you know, we will be revealing our positions to each other at the same time as you hear it from us. So yeah. this, who knows, this could be a disagreement. It's it possible. could be. It very well could be. Do you, you Nathan, know? do you have a, a position? Have you landed on on what you think? The answer is I I have landed on a position. Mm. Have you have you landed on a position? Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. We'll get there, but I don't want to give too much away. I don't want to give too much away. But I think I have landed uh, at my current position. So we'll okay. see. Maybe okay. we'll change each other's minds. Maybe we'll accidentally cool. be on the same page, like we always fucking are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is true. Speaking of things we're on the same page about, mm. uh, Trump is a fucking criminal, dude. Trump is. <laughs> A fucking criminal. <laughs> now, to be fair, he's not a criminal yet. Right? Yeah. He's not a criminal yet. He hasn't been convicted I mean, of a crime yet. He has not been convicted of a crime yet. He has been indicted, which means like he is I, I guess I guess I guess we should we should specify when we say that he's a fucking criminal that that's kind of the colloquial yes. use of the word, the general yeah. colloquial. Um, like we are not saying that as a, as a legal term, we're saying yeah. that as a kind of in the colloquial sense of it. Sure. He's, he's, yeah, he's, he has demonstrated criminality, but while we can't conclusively factually say Trump is a criminal yet, even though he definitely is subtext, <laughs> um, we can conclusively say Trump is a sexual assaulter. 
Yes, that can say that. a jury of his peers has concluded. Yes. So we want to walk through like like what these cases are, uh, where they stand, what's been proven, what's been what's not, what's in the process of being investigated, and what that might mean for Trump and the rest of us and all of our fate in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Business Insider has a really good breakdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I, a lot of the information that I'm going to be discussing comes from the Business Insider article. Yeah. So you should, if, if you want more information, you should definitely check out uh, the Business Insider article about the, uh, the Trump's docket. Yeah, exactly. So there's one criminal case against Trump that is currently uh, in process. There are a number of investigations. There are some civil cases. But there's one criminal case currently uh, for which Trump has already been indicted. And so I think we should probably start there. I agree. So this is a case in New York, and Trump is being charged with 34 counts of uh, felony counts of falsifying business records. So this case is being brought by the district attorney, Alvin Bragg. Um, And essentially, they have, Alvin Bragg has investigated whether Donald Trump had violated campaign finance laws in New York in connection with the hush money payments that he made to porn star Stormy Daniels uh, in advance of the 2016 election. You know, you might be thinking, wow, it's getting to a point where a president can't even pay hush money to his porn star girlfriend anymore. <laughs> yeah, because, because, that, because that happens. Because that is a normal presidential thing to do. Yeah, I mean, it's not, I mean... The important thing here, (laughs) (laughs) the important thing here is not the porn star, right? Yeah. It's not the affair, which happened in like the the aughts, you know, 2006, I think, or or so. It's not even the paying of hush money. Yeah. Although, to be fair, if you properly disclose the payment of your hush money, it wouldn't really be hush money. But the problem here (laughs) is that um, Trump, in an attempt to hide his hush money payments, uh, falsified business records. So essentially, through Michael Cohen, his like fixer and personal lawyer, who is a key witness in this case, um, he, you know, allegedly made several payments to Stormy Daniels amounting to uh, a total of $130,000 to, you know, get her not to talk about this affair with Donald Trump during uh, the presidential election. So Cohen was directed by Trump to pay off Stormy Daniels, um, and Trump then reimbursed Cohen for those payments. And then in the Trump Organization's books, they falsified those records in order to make it look as if you know he had not made these payments so he falsified records and importantly the suppression of a negative story is a campaign benefit yeah and as a candidate for office you can't buy benefits for your campaign without disclosing them as part of your as a campaign contribution yeah and so to pay someone off um with your campaign funds uh, or, or even personal funds in order to benefit your campaign is a campaign either expenditure or contribution. And so hiding that is a falsification of, you know, a business or a public document. Yeah. Yeah. And I just like to point out, considering how much 
he is and has proven to be Teflon Don, <laughs> I don't even think he needed to do this. Yeah, In fact, no I kidding. honestly think that if he had just come out and said, yeah, you see that porn star over there? Totally mm -hmm. did her. Mm -hmm. He would have probably gained support. Yeah. Like, I don't even think he had to do this. Mm -hmm. um, but, but, but yeah, the, the important thing is campaign contributions are usually defined as something of value. Yes. And suppressing a story is something of value. Mm -hmm. So this is basically no different from if he paid that... Uh, what was it? Two hundred thousand dollars. One hundred thirty thousand dollars. If he had paid that one hundred thirty thousand dollars just directly to his campaign, mm -hmm. yeah, which which you're allowed to do, like you, you, there are limits to how much people can donate directly to your campaign, mm -hmm. except you. You can yeah. you can donate it. You can give as much as you want, but, but you have to write it you down. You have to disclose it. Yeah, you have to write it down. <laughs> yeah. So this is no different from if he had done that. Yeah and then just didn't disclose it. Totally. And another important point that you have to remember when it comes to this case is the fact that we already know that this is a crime mm -hmm. that is worthy of being prosecuted for and sent to jail for because Michael Cohen, the guy that he did the crime with, was prosecuted and convicted of this crime and spent time in prison for this crime. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's pretty damning stuff. Like, it's just... Game set match, son. Yeah, <laughs> someone has already been uh, been convicted for this particular instance of this particular crime, um, so it does seem pretty likely that this is going to finally be a criminal charge that sticks to sticks to Trump. Um, yeah. And it turns so out, related to that, related to that, uh, there is also a lawsuit currently being alleged against Donald Trump uh, by Michael Cohen. Mm -hmm that alleges that while Michael Cohen was imprisoned, that uh, he was basically unfairly punished. So, so apparently, in the, uh, the spring of 2022, uh, he was actually put under house arrest, put under home confinement uh, for about three months. And a big part of this was basically um, that... Like, it, it was during the pandemic. It was to try to prevent the spread during the pandemic. And, I mean, Michael Cohen's not really an at-risk person. He's not. He's probably yeah. not going to go out and commit violent crimes mm -hmm. um, if he's put under, under house arrest. So, you know, that, that makes sense. Um, but while he was under house arrest, he was talking to the news. He was writing his book. Mm -hmm. uh, he was yeah. doing a tell-all book. And during that time period... He, he alleges that he was vindictively thrown into solitary confinement, like taken out of, out of house arrest and thrown into solitary confinement when he refused to stop speaking to the press. Which, by the way, the judge ordered him, ordered him released from that uh, 16 days later, which, by mm -hmm. the way, 16 days in solitary confinement. Oh my gosh, that's a long time. That's, that's already like, solitary confinement should not exist. Mm -hmm. It should yeah. not exist for the most hardened of criminals. Mm -hmm. But he's alleging... This happened due to vindiction, mm. uh, and he is seeking uh, $20 million in damages from, from Trump. So a couple of thoughts. One, there's almost no way that this doesn't get totally dismissed, because <laughs> like, yeah. like, we just don't have a good path for criminals to sue for their treatment while... Yeah, true being you know held um 
that's one thought. My second thought, though, is it would be awesome if he somehow won. And it'd be awesome for like two reasons. One, fucking take money from Trump. Absolutely, this is great. But two, if this established a precedent where like certain number of days in solitary confinement equaled, you know, millions and millions of dollars, yeah. I would love to see solitary confinement like bankrupted out of its out of use by yeah. like I, I don't again that's not going to happen but yeah and know, i and i be. should i should also say in terms of where the case is now it was dismissed in november but cohen has filed an appeal so mm -hmm. it's still potentially out there mm -hmm. um but it was initially dismissed yep yep uh, and i do think you're right i do think there's a good chance that it goes nowhere but it is still that is still fucked up yeah it is it really is yeah. Um, one thing that's interesting about this criminal case as well is that Alvin Bragg did attempt to convince the judge to to basically like bar Trump from leaking any documents related to the case or like talking about the case, <laughs> basically like a gag order, because historically, they know who Trump is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Historically, Trump has has incited, you know, or at least like encouraged, you know, violence against people that have brought cases against him, including Alvin Bragg, including Letitia James, who we'll talk about. Um, now, the judge did decline to do this, saying, quote, please refrain from making statements that have potential to incite violence, create civil unrest, or jeopardize the safety of any individuals, and did leave open the possibility of implementing a gag order in the future. But basically, his bar was, because Trump is running for president he needs to and you know he needs to basically have full access to kind of his first amendment rights so we'll see what happens um trump has like been talking about cases against him just as irresponsibly as he usually does um so we'll see whether he's actually able to keep his big mouth shut for his own benefit um yeah. but that's that's kind of an interesting turn of like the fact that you've got the loudest possible obnoxious person as the defendant in this case yeah and so far trump's main defense can be summarized by three words political witch hunt <laughs> which is not a defense that you can mount <laughs> yeah yeah i'm sorry but and... like someone is prosecuting me for crimes like the implication of political witch hunt is the motivations of for this crime are bad but there's no like claim that you know, it's not true, although he did plead not guilty. So, like, saying political witch hunt basically means I did it, but, you know, this is this is wrong. And uh, that's not a defense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, next, let's talk about uh, Fulton County election mm. interference probe. Yes. So this is a criminal investigation into Trump. Yes. Um, so we do not yet have an indictment, which is important. But this is, like, the one of my favorites. This is, like, the my favorite one. So juicy. <laughs> so uh, Fulton County, Georgia, District Attorney Fannie Willis is investigating uh, Trump and uh, some of his Republican associates in connection with the 2020 uh, presidential campaign um, for a couple of things. One, they're looking into an alleged scheme to provide a fake slate of electors to Georgia. Um, and two, the uh, request made to Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger uh, from Trump on this, like, on the phone call you might have heard, where Trump basically asked him to, quote-unquote, find additional votes in order to make him 
president. And so apparently a special grand jury has recommended multiple indictments, um, according to like a, the, the forewoman of the, of the grand jury who, uh, is, you know, they're supposed to be kept fully confidential, but she's like pretty interested in talking to the press. So we know that the, the grand is jury. Is this the one that keeps doing those weird, like side winks to the camera? <laughs> I think she is. I think she is. Yeah. It just like, <laughs> like, I don't know why it's just kind of it's weird like, oh, when a grand see. jury member also then wants to be like famous. <laughs> yeah. Which come on, don't like, that's not what this is. I'm sorry. This isn't about you. Yes, exactly. No, exactly. And like, as a jury member, you should attempt to take yourself out of it as much as possible. You should anonymize yourself as much as possible. Honestly, you you shouldn't be the jury for woman if you're like, if, if, if that is, if that is your, if that is your motivation, then you really shouldn't be like, it's in, I mean, it's endearing, Mm. but I don't need someone who's endearing. I need somebody who can do their damn job. Yeah. And to the degree that, to the degree that like they're, could be risk to the indictment as a result yeah. of like, or or even delays as a result of of claims that like confidentiality is important. You know, you just you don't want someone who's reckless. Um, yeah, in that in that position. Um, but nevertheless, she has indicated or hinted that Trump is likely to be indicted or included in the indictments in this in this election fraud case. Yeah, which I actually remember when we covered this exact event. Mm-hmm. I remember. When we talked about it, my exact words were, if this is not illegal, that is a failure of our entire legal system. Yeah. Yes. Uh, if it's not illegal, it should be. I mean, he literally, literally, he was told how many votes he was behind Biden by. And he asked explicitly Secretary of State to go find that many votes. It wasn't yeah. like, go do a recount. It wasn't you know, ensure that there's no fraud, do an audit, none of those things. It was, I need 11,000 whatever votes. Go get them. Yeah. Yeah. And so far, Trump's defense against this um, can be summed up with three words. Political witch hunt. (laughs) Lots of nuance. Yes. He's a very, he's a very nuanced man. He is a keen legal mind. No doubt. No doubt about it. Um, This one's my favorite though, because like, like, it just, if this were to land and get him in prison, it would it would just be the nail in the coffin of, like, his election denialism and all of, like, it would finally yeah. be, like, you know, official that his attempts to overturn the election and influence a state's, you know, uh, presidential election were criminal. Yeah. And I would just love to see that. Yeah. I, I like this one, too because so so the message that i think if if he does end up getting charged with the stormy daniels case mm. the message that that sends is nobody's above the law like mm-hmm. you know yeah. the only reason why he didn't originally get charged with it was because he was president at the time which yeah. by the way i think that's bullshit yeah like that's you're basically saying we don't live in a republic and if you're president you're above the law mm-hmm. um but the message that this sends I feel like it's a much needed cautionary tale to other Republicans that have been starting to like yeah. go all in on, um, you know, alleging uh, voter fraud. Yeah. And, and even putting in place mechanisms to do voter fraud in 2024. Exactly. And I think that that's a good cautionary tale of, mm-hmm. hey, you fuck with democracy, the law fucks with you. Yeah. And I think that's a much needed message because we 
we can't we just trump opened up a very scary can of worms mm, and scary can of worms and like if you know this is one of those things where it could go do it two different ways if he faces no consequences for that then next time they're going to try even harder mm. and they might yeah. get farther totally but if he does face consequences for that hopefully we nip it in the bud yeah totally let's just pause for a second i really like the visual of a very scary can of worms because usually a can of worms <laughs> is just like unruly and like hard to manage and silly but like i'm thinking of now like flesh-eating worms they're like oh yeah <laughs> no, no i was thinking tapeworms <laughs> oh god like who wants like, a I'm, can of those? i'm talking about tape i'm talking wow. about tapeworms the silent killer <laughs> silent <Okay>. but deadly <laughs> so another criminal investigation into donald trump this one from the justice department into uh the january 6th uh into basically trump's role in the uh january 6th attempt to overthrow the election so basically the congress had put together a string of hearings you know basically intended to build out a case against Donald Trump that he had incited the violence on January 6th and attempted to subvert the peaceful transition of power. Um, that's, that wasn't actually the purpose of the House Committee investigation because that, that's not what Congress investigations are for and can do, but it was a byproduct in that they gathered a ton of information um, via witness testimony uh, and other like document subpoenas um, of like Trump's motivations and his role in inciting this violence. And as a result of the House investigation, uh, four charges were recommended to be brought against Trump. One, conspiracy to defraud the United States. Two, conspiracy to make false statements. Three, obstruction of an official proceeding. And four, incitement to insurrection. Um, and so to dig into this, uh, Merrick Garland, the Attorney General, has appointed Jack Smith um, as a special counsel uh, Smith is a, um, you know, former is a prosecutor, and at this point he's done a ton of subpoenas as part of this investigation, including subpoenaing uh, Ivanka Trump, Jared Kushner, and uh, former President Mike Pence. And to quote the fellows over at Pod Save America, which is my favorite way to refer to Mike Pence, uh, Mike Pence of uh, Hang My Pence fame. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes! Yikes. Um, with this, so. This is the one investigation that I'm not quite sure about. Mm -hmm. I I mean, I guess my thing is, I mean, I think if you want to argue that he indirectly incited violence, like that cannot be denied. Mm -hmm. Like that yeah. cannot, it cannot be denied that if he hadn't stood up there and spoke about it, like, you know, said the shit that he did, that it wouldn't have happened. But at the same time, I feel like this also kind of, opens up legal precedent regarding stochastic terrorism in general. Mm -hmm. And that's just something that I don't know if I'm entirely comfortable with there being a legal ramification for, because that drifts dangerously close into violations of free speech, mm. you know, yeah. like being, being, being charged with the actions of others that you did not directly tell them to do. Mm -hmm. I just, I don't know how I feel about that. Mm -hmm. And also, I don't know if this is, I, I don't think that this is as much of a legal slam dunk case as the other ones. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's certainly right in the case of uh, inciting an insurrection. And luckily, I mean, not, I mean, 
the the bar is high there, right? Like we're talking yeah. about a criminal charge, which means conviction is beyond a reasonable doubt. Yeah. Um, and it's and it's a pretty so being you know inciting someone to insurrection is presumably a pretty high bar and difficult to clear. Um, and so I agree that that's probably like one of the least likely ones. I think some of the other charges, you know, if they end up bringing them, like conspiracy to defraud the United States, conspiracy to make false statement, and yeah. And maybe to a lesser degree, obstruction of an official proceeding. Like, con- yeah. conspiracy to defraud the United States, it's like, you get together with a group of cronies, you talk about, you know, taking illegal action to defraud the United States, which is like discussing illegal options to, ob- like, change the outcome of an election. And then you take a step in furtherance, or any of the conspirators takes a step in furtherance of that act, right? Yeah. And, like, that to me seems like a much more likely scenario if they can build the case uh from subpoenaing the people that were in the room um yeah. that each of those yeah. things was satisfied yeah P- potentially yeah yeah and yeah. like i mean cuz 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 i feel like he did kind of sp- like the things that we heard him say he was he was not being direct mm-hmm. you know a- any anybody could watch that yeah. and think you know when he says fight like hell anybody could watch that and i think still come to the potential conclusion that he was saying, you know, with your voice. Yes. Like yeah. stand outside there and shout and shout and shout and shout and shout. Mm-hmm. He never directly said, you know, storm the Capitol and, you know, break into it uh, and, you know, trespass on the Senate chambers. Yes, totally. I just, I feel like that is, uh, there. there's too much, th- th- that case rests too much on what was implied. Mm-hmm. And when we're talking about what was implied, yeah. it's dangerous when we start to get into the territory of the, what you can legally be held accountable for, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's totally right. Um, I'd be curious. Yeah. I think, I think the other charges are just much more likely. I mean, yeah, I agree. You know, talking totally about agree. like, cons- like, you know, conspiring of like how to convince Mike Pence ha- yeah. uh, to, you know, neglect his duty to certify the election like trying to force him to do that that's like that that sounds like conspiracy to defraud or uh, you know make false statements and so we'll see, we'll see what it ends up but i totally agree like about some of the 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 incitement claims to be a little bit less uh slam dunk unless we have some you know discovery of kind of direct uh involvement in some of the organiza- organizing of um yeah. the march on the capitol because like yeah you know we know that recently a, a grand jury dealt out some of the most severe and significant um uh, convictions that they have for any of the rioters at the capitol so we saw that five leaders of extremist groups that were there specifically the oath keepers were found uh, guilty of seditious conspiracy in their cases which are some of the most significant uh, charges that were brought and mo- the most yeah. significant you know cases brought and so and we know that there were trump surrogates who were directly interacting with um the oath keepers and like even encouraged them to be there or asked them to be there um and so like I think it's possible to draw to end up drawing that connection, but if we if we do, we got to make it. It's got to be a slam dunk. It's got to be rock solid. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think that if we do see more of that, if we do see any more evidence of that, then of course my, you know, I, yeah, I think course. the calculus changes. Yeah. Um, 
Next, of course, we have uh, Trump's handling of classified documents. <laughs> yeah. Which, yeah. okay, okay, this is one of those things where the Trump team will continue to try to make the argument that it was discovered that Joe Biden had some classified documents. It was discovered that Mike Pence had some classified documents. And I think that that does certainly give give you pause in thinking, mm-hmm. why the fuck are we letting public officials do that? Well, well yeah. <laughs> well, that's certainly true. I think it gives me pause in like two, two, two uh, avenues. One is... What the fuck, to your point? Yeah. Why are these people taking their classified work home with them in, yeah. in, like, folders? Like, what? But two, it makes the case a little bit weaker and more complicated in, like, the court of public opinion. Yeah. Because it's just harder to say that what Trump did was terrible and wrong if it's, like, kind of a normal mistake for people to make. Yeah. That being the, said, that being right. said, it is different for Trump. Mm-hmm. because he initially, like the FBI initially came to him and said, hey, bro, you got some classified documents, cough mm-hmm. them up. And Trump was like, okay, and gave him gave them some of the documents, but not all of the documents. Mm-hmm. Whereas with Biden and Pence, they were much more, they were, they were much quicker to hand everything back to the, sure. you know, back to the investigators. Um, and the thing is, like, I, I think that, um, the uh, the people that were initially investigating this, the FBI, mm-hmm. I think they were initially a little bit too cavalier, and they asked mm-hmm. a little bit too nicely of both of of Biden, of Pence, and of Trump to hand back stuff that they never should have had. Mm-hmm. Like I think that there should be some further investigation into that mm-hmm. on all on all three of that on all in all three of those cases. Sure. But the fact that they gave him the opportunity to give them back and he didn't give them all back, mm-hmm. that is the part that should really stick that is the part that should really give you pause yeah because why wouldn't you unless there were potentially nefarious reasons sure and and again it's not it's not it's becoming more and more clear that it wasn't just a mistake yeah right it's it's still heinous that you could have 15 boxes of documents and you've got classified material that you can mistakenly lose track of (laughs) and and like when you do but like the requirement is like you do an audit of your documents to determine if you have classified material. Like there are standards that you've got to meet in or- when you provide these documents back. So it's not just like that it's a mistake either. There's more and more evidence coming out that like they handled these documents, they were being moved, they were seemingly aware of them. And so it was some kind of intentional obstruction of the government's like uh, you know, reclamation of these documents and their potential um, investigation into, you know, his handling of them, uh, that is in some ways the more serious of the charges. It's not just mishandling of them, but it's then the the seemingly willful obstruction of their uh, of reclaiming those documents and and uh, into his handling of them in the first place. Apparently, I have more regulations on how I am supposed to handle information regarding students' grades <laughs> than fucking former presidents and fucking former vice presidents do when it comes to handling top-secret documents, <laughs> some of which are nuclear secrets. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Yep. So this is another one of the cases that's being investigated by Jack Smith. So he's the special uh, special counsel on on both these Justice, Justice Department cases against Trump. Okay. Lawsuits. <laughs> We're just through the criminal investigations and charges. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about New York Attorney General's filing uh, a lawsuit against the Trump family and organization. Um, so this is Letitia James, and basically um, she has uncovered a pattern, a decades-long pattern, of Trump's organization inflating their value, the the uh, nominal value of their assets, in order to get large loans of cash, but um, falsifying the a low value of their assets in order to pay lower taxes, and so um, she has put together a pretty significant uh, uh, lawsuit um, after a three year investigation um, that basically seeks to. Um, basically remove the Trump organization from being able to operate in the state of New York, as well as require them to pay back uh, $250 million that Trump allegedly pocketed by misleading banks by overstating the value of his assets. Damn. And I bet he wishes he was a real billionaire now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And also seeks to ban Trump and uh, his and multiple family members from ever running companies in New York State again. So basically, not only seeking to reclaim a bunch of money, but also shut down the Trump organization's operations in New York pretty much entirely. Yep. Um, and once again, Trump's main legal defense is political witch hunt how dare you <laughs> that's a that's a common theme like almost almost all of these he's just that that's all he has to say like he hasn't given really any mm -hmm. substantive arguments against it it's yeah. just political witch hunt mm -hmm. which yeah i mean is going to appeal to his ardent base of supporters but i mean we're talking about the court of law yeah, so, exactly. Sorry, bro. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next, we have a third of there's the country, actually uh, there there's actually a civil case on the um, the incitement of the uh, mm -hmm. of the insurrection on January sixth. Uh, I don't think we need to get too into this. Yeah, totally. Um, but it, it's kind of the the same general thing, but th that we talked about earlier. But in terms of whether he is uh, civilly liable for. Yeah for what he did. Um, the one part that I thought was kind of interesting and that does kind of, that does kind of give me a little bit pause of my initial reaction of, you know, concerns over, uh, over incitement like, to interaction. Yeah. Um, there was a federal judge that actually had rejected Trump's initial bid, uh, to try to dismiss the lawsuits. And in his ruling, he said, quote, that the, that the rhetoric, on uh, on January 6th was, quote, akin to telling an excited mob that corn dealers starve the poor in front of the corn dealer's home, <laughs> which, I mean, that's not a bad argument. Yeah. That's yeah, yeah. kind of true. Yeah, I mean, yeah. to be fair, the reference is old-timey and legal and stuffy, but yeah, but I think you're right. Like, ultimately, I mean, whether I you're inciting, <laughs> yeah, you're right. You know, I mean, cornfields still exist, but clearly it's citing some kind of like some previous precedent. And I lived um, in Iowa for two years. I mean, <laughs> Iowa is basically just corn. 
corn and anger and violence about corn. <laughs> it's all corn. I mean, you'd, it's corn you'd, all the way down. You'd be surprised. They they take their corn very seriously. <laughs> you know, even calling it corn is an insult. There's so many different kinds and varieties. <laughs> yeah, yeah, different um, professions. They have cornographers. <laughs> cornographer. <laughs> That was a terrible joke. That was a terrible joke. <laughs> Ribbed for pleasure. <laughs> um, that was a terrible joke. I can't believe I said that. No, really did everybody unsu- un- unsubscribe to the pod. Stop listening to us. I'm, no, do not, do I'm not done. do that. I'm do done. Do, we need a living. We need to make a living. Um, <laughs> um, but I, I, I agree with you. And like the, the where you say. Yeah the thing matters where and when in the context and circumstances matters in terms of its relationship to incitement to violence, which is the limit on kind of free speech. So we'll see where that goes. Um, Um, I kind of am a little bit hesitant, like not only because we already talked about like the difficult tenuous relationship there, although the, the burden of proof in a civil lawsuit is only uh, preponderance of the evidence, not beyond a reasonable doubt. So like 51% standard. Um, but at the same time, like, I'm a little bit dubious of the standing of House Democrats and the Capitol Police officers that are yeah. involved in this case, just because, like, you know, maybe the Capitol Police officers have a case. I don't know that the House Democrats do, but... We'll I mean, see. they were the ones that were being stormed at. Totally. So, I yeah. mean... That might, I, yeah, maybe I, that's right. I, I think there might be some standing there. Yeah. Like, they were, you know... I mean, yeah. they were definitely hiding in the basement, scared for their lives. So yeah. that's and usually also, an indication. Like, and also, these people were take were like taking shits in their office. I mean, I'd I'd be like, totally. you know, <laughs> yeah. Where are the janitors in this case? They should be parties to this case. Yeah, the had janitors, to clean up janitors. I had to clean like, up shit on the floor. Domestic terrorists shit. It's way worse than normal shit. Yeah, it's, it's shit yeah. used as a, a weapon of terror. Yeah. <laughs> well, and and you know that those they like those those people do not. Like, they do not get enough fiber in their diet. No way. Yeah, it's um, all solid and and liquid. There's no yeah no in between. Like it's you know <laughs> it's because of all the corn. It's the corn. <laughs> it's it's the corn. They eat too much corn. <laughs> this is gonna become like a conspiracy theory. <laughs> okay. All right. <clears throat> let's get down. Files. Let's get down to real business and talk about the E.G. and Carol. Yes. Case. Yes. Yes. So, Eugene Carroll is a advice columnist um, who is suing Trump for, or did sue Trump for defamation, battery, and is suing Trump for emotional distress. So, the background here is that in 2019, Eugene Carroll uh, wrote in a New Yorker cover story that Trump had sexually assaulted her in a uh, Bergdorf Goodman dressing room. In the mid '90s, Trump then accused her of lying, um, said all kinds of heinous shit as he's wont to do, and basically opened the door for a defamation claim by Eugene Carroll. Yeah. So what's interesting to me about this particular case is the combination of yeah. claims in the lawsuit because it's not just defamation, right? It's not just he said something about me that was intentionally false in order to harm my reputation and therefore I'm entitled to damages. It's also battery. Yeah. Um, And this is possible because in New York, 
there is a law that gives sexual assault accusers a, a an extended window to file civil cases uh, if they include uh, rape allegations, right? Which is basically being able to say, like, if, if you have a sexual assault allegation, you can try to go the criminal route, but you can also go the civil route to to try to um, punish or and, and reclaim damages. And yeah. But often statute of limitations, the, the limitation on the amount of time you have to file a lawsuit, is a, a big limiting factor in who can come forward because it limits Which when you right can come Which that right there forward. is probably worthy of a segment in and of itself. Totally. Like there's some, there's some things like, you know, petty theft or whatever where statute of limitations totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. But like there's no statute of limitations on murder. Mm-hmm. Because it's you know it, we recognize that that's something that is a particularly heinous crime. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why there's a statute of limitations on rape. Yeah, totally. like that just that just that does not make sense to me. Yeah, I agree. Especially because like why raise the barrier even higher? Because yeah. as you get further and further from a crime, it gets more and more difficult to collect all the evidence necessary to prove it in the first place. So you're already at a disadvantage the longer you are from the incident. Well, and also, like, the damages to the victim for, like, a smaller crime are probably not going to be as severe further down the line. I mean, mm-hmm. you, 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 you rob a liquor store. Yeah. You know, you, you, steal a, you steal a $40 bottle of rum or some shit. Um, after, after, like, 10 years or so, that's, that's nothing to the liquor store. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, how, is that, how is that going to affect them? You know, but you rape somebody 10 years down the line, they're still going to have that trauma with them. Mm -hmm. Like the victims, the victims are going to be affected for significantly longer for stuff like sexual assault than they would be for something like petty theft. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So, but you're right. We should do a segment on statute of limitations and what, what crimes should or shouldn't be included. But luckily, E. Jean Carroll had an opportunity to file the civil lawsuit against Trump. Yeah, and and she, and she was awarded five million dollars. She won, yeah, which means that a jury came to the conclusion that it was more likely than not that Trump sexually assaulted her uh, in the nineteen nineties and also defamed her. Yeah, which you know, to be fair, they had a really key eyewitness that had specifically stated that um, he had seen Donald Trump uh, sexually assault people. Spoiler alert, it was Donald Trump. (laughs) Yeah. That's (laughs) when he admitted that he likes to grab women by the pussy without asking. Yep. Yep. Which is sexual assault. Yeah. Yes. And that video was used during the procedure. Yes. It was a part of the it was a part of the evidence. So he was he was a key witness (laughs) against himself. (laughs) It's true. But then Trump with his big ass fucking trap hilariously went and made the same kinds of insults against Carol that he had before. And so Carol uh, amended another defamation claim against him about other comments um, to include the most recent remarks that he put out after he was convicted of sexually assaulting her. And so now she has a second case against Trump, um, similarly about uh, emotional distress and um, and defamation, where she is seeking $10 million in damages, um, which is just awesome. I would just love yeah. if this was just a cash cow for her, like forever. Yeah. And just, just like every just time. Win a case, win wait a for case. him to say something stupid, yeah. sue him again, win the case, <laughs> wait for him to say it again. 
Yeah. He's like to finally turn his lack of self-control against him. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. So I we have something we have to touch on before we close out this segment. David, what does this mean for Trump becoming president in 2024? So I think that this helps him in the primary, but hurts him in the general. I think, I think so that, right. I think that this energizes uh, Republicans to support him even more. Mm-hmm. Like the the most hardcore base of supporters. I think that like as soon as as soon as the indictment happened, he shot up in the polls against mm-hmm. Ron yeah. DeSantis. To be fair, that's because voters started to you know, hear from Ron DeSantis. Hear yeah. from Ron DeSantis. But like, I think that this helps him in the primary. But I think that in the general election, this is just, this does not look good. Yeah. Like, this is not going to look good. And I think there's a lot of normie types that remembered how chaotic his first administration was. Mm-hmm. And if there's any hope that the second one will be less chaotic, all of these legal troubles that are just piling on, that ain't gonna sell it to him. Yeah, it destroys that hope. I think I think you're spot on. We just haven't seen the announcement of these indictments or even like his conviction in the Eugene Carroll case or loss of the Eugene Carroll case, I should say, um, hurt his polling among like his base. Yeah. Like he just is as popular as ever. And I think like say we say he's convicted uh for the falsification of business records in new york he could face i think four years in prison for every count although they'd probably all be served concurrently so like four years in prison um say he gets convicted for that you know prior to the primary there's going to be so much like trump was wrong Trump's wrongly convicted blah like yeah. there might be more momentum for him going yeah. into the primary in a case like that but, but just, it's going to be really imagine, hard to campaign just well but just imagine a president running for office from prison. Yeah. God, that is... Yeah. That Especially is... a front runner. But importantly, one thing to call out, like, I think you're right about it hurting him in the general. I just think the hardcore base, which is enough to put him over the top in the primary, is likely not enough. Well, it's definitely not enough to put him over the top in the general. And yeah. there's just no sense in which like any swing voters or even people maybe on like the next like like further extreme end would still go for him outside of his like hardcore mega base and importantly there's nothing that prevents someone from running or even becoming president as a felon or even while they're in prison um i think it would be logistically difficult because then you got to imprison all your you know security and all that (laughs) stuff but still (laughs) um there's there's no like legal impediment to that so we've screwed the pooch on that when he wasn't convicted at his impeachment trial (laughs) um and so like you know the impediments for 2024 are political not legal So a few weeks ago, we rolled out another mini segment, and we called it Beyond the Talking Points, because the whole goal of the segment was to take talking points and break them down to go beyond them. But we realized that Beyond the Talking Points sounds a bit stuffy, uh, and that's not really what we're like on the show. Yeah. But you know what we say all the time? We'd like to take a, take a talking point or take an argument, 
build it up. Make a, make a steel man out of it. And then we like to tell you why that's bullshit. Yep. So we're rebranding the segment as, so here's why that's bullshit. <laughs> so Nathan, what's the claim today that we're breaking down? The claim today is that vaccines cause autism. Oh, wow. Oftentimes, when it comes to, when it comes to the vaccine autism tie-in, the, the, the vaccine autism argument, what people point out is the fact that we've seen an increase in the number of vaccines that kids get at a younger age. At the same time, we've also seen a spike in the number of kids that are diagnosed as autistic. And in fact, we very frequently see autistic symptoms start to take place around the times in which children are vaccinated. Therefore, one must cause the other. So here's why that's bullshit. <laughs> so first off, the reason why there have been more vaccines is because we've developed more vaccines, you know, which of course we have. When it comes to any type of medical advancement, we're going to slowly get better and better. Furthermore, we discover new diseases every day, which need new vaccines. All right. We improve vaccines. We develop more vaccines for old diseases that we were never able to develop before. So of course, the number of vaccines are going to increase as we progress. Now, in terms of autism diagnostic, it is true that we have seen a spike in the number of people that have been diagnosed with autism, but a huge reason for this is because the spectrum for, for what constitutes autism in the first place, for what is diagnosable, for a person being diagnosable as autistic, has also broadened. I believe, you know, for those of you that have been, uh, for those of you that have listened to the show for a while, you might have heard me some sometimes here and there mention that I'm on the autism spectrum. Now, I probably would not have been diagnosed as autistic 30 years ago, you know? And in fact, if you are verbal at all, it would have been hard to be diagnosed with autism, you know, as you, as you go further back. So the big reason why we've seen more autism diagnostic is not because there are more autistics, it's because our definition of autism has expanded and we've gotten better at detecting autism, especially at a younger age. So it's a classic case of correlation does not equal causation. And furthermore, one small point that I would like to go ahead and make to kind of as, kind of do a final nail on the coffin to make it very clear that this entire thing about vaccines and autism is complete bullshit. And, and this is something where I think that I think that most people view the whole vaccine autism thing as being like this bullshit fringe thing. So when you're actually faced with somebody who tries to make the argument, you don't always know what you're supposed to say to them because, you know, it's it's a fr it's fringe bullshit. You know, yeah. it's like trying yeah. to argue with a flat earther. So <laughs> here's what you try to point out. All right. What you would point out is the fact that the guy that initially alleged that vaccines cause autism, Andrew Wakefield, he didn't even say that you shouldn't vaccinate your kids. What his argument was that there might be a connection between the MMR vaccine, the mumps, measles, and rubella multidose vaccine, and autism. What he recommended instead was that parents use this use single dose vaccines, meaning a single dose for mumps, for measles, and for rubella. 
And guess who owns the patent on the single dose vaccines for mumps, measles, and rubella? Hmm. Andrew fucking Wakefield. So it was a complete conflict of interest. And that's why that's bullshit. So in April, a new piece of bipartisan uh, legislation was introduced into the U.S. Senate. Um, This legislation, uh, dubbed the Protecting Kids on Social Media Act, although that's not the real name, um, is sponsored by four senators, two Republicans and two Democrats. So Republican Tom Cotton of Arkansas, Katie Britt of Alabama, and Democrats Brian Schatz of Hawaii, and Connecticut's Chris Murphy, which yeah. we've talked about how shitty Tom Cotton is on this show. Um, yeah. it's, and, and Brian Schatz is kind of cool. So I was like really curious. It really piqued my interest to see yeah. that they were co-sponsoring uh, a bill about social media. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was so uncomfortable when I saw the proposal of this law because I'm like, Tom, Tom Cotton sponsored it. Oh, well, I'm definitely against it. And then Rand Paul argued against it. And I was like, oh, well, then I'm definitely for it. Fuck. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I can't do the normal thing that I do where I just agree with what Repub- I disagree with what Republicans say and agree with what Democrats mm. say. I don't know what to do. Do I have to think for myself for once? <laughs> to be clear, that was a joke. That was a joke. That's not what we do on the show. We, <laughs> that, we yeah. think about things for ourselves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, but I, I, I do think that sometimes people do have a tendency to try to fit everything into, mm-hmm. you know, some type of partisan ideological bubble. And this is one of those things. That, these are the types of conversations that I love having the most because mm-hmm. it really doesn't come down to partisan ideology. Yeah. Which means that a lot of the arguments are much more merit-based mm-hmm. than grandstanding. Totally. And 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 I like that. Like I like it when I, I wish that more issues were like that, where mm-hmm. we could just argue on the merits of things and not just grandstand on the political uh, you know, the the political popularity or unpopularity of something. Totally. So let's dig into what this bill does. So yep. one, it prohibits children under the age of 13 from basically having accounts and logging into social media. So they can still technically access it, but they can't have an account. So if they're, you know, if they have the ability, if the, if the platform allows you to access without an account, they can, but they're not allowed to have an account. Um, yeah. This is consistent with social media companies' policies already um, as a result of the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act, uh, but it's almost never enforced. And so... Yeah. This law would also require that the social media companies implement like pretty strict age verification uh, systems, and it also like establishes you know the the uh, like a, a government provided like program to create age verification requirements and things like that. Yeah. Um, now, so importantly, that. that part is not mandated. Yes, right? they don't have companies, to use the government. Companies version. can use the government uh, the, the the government system. Um, but they don't have to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And then the second, another key thing that it does is it prohibits social media companies from recommending content using algorithms to users under the age of 18. 
So if you're 13 to 18, you're not allowed to be targeted with algorithms, which is called algorithmic boosting. Yeah. Um, so that's another key thing that it does. And then, then like the third main you know, social media impact that it has is that it actually requires a guardian's permission for users under 18 to create account. So if you're under 13, banned from creating an account. 13 to 18, you have to get your guardian's permission to create an account. And 13 to 18, the social media companies are not allowed to use algorithmic boosting to show you, you know, the thing that's going to keep your attention. Yeah. And this is something that I don't know how Michael feels about yet. <laughs> and he doesn't know how I feel about yet. Mm -hmm. So let's 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 kind of walk through the things to consider when it comes to this law. Totally. Cuz I mean if you've listened to the show for a while, you you know that we usually do tends to err on the side of a more civil libertarian approach. Uh, I think that I'm some I sometimes have that tendency like maybe slightly more than Michael does, mm -hmm. but I think we both kind of err on the side of yeah. uh, if it's when it comes to people's social lives, when it comes to like people's personal lives, keep the government out of that. Yeah. You, yeah. And specifically you tend to, to apply that to social media more directly yeah. than I tend to do that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But even, even the liberty, the civil libertarian in me like does recognize that the calculus changes when we're talking about kids. Like totally. the calculus absolutely changes when we're talking about kids. Cause like, you know, the civil libertarian in me says like the government shouldn't be there to protect you from yourself. Mm -hmm. Like the reason why you should put in a law that regulates a person's personal life or what they're doing is if that action can potentially harm somebody else. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, you're free to swing your fist all you want, but the moment that it hits my face is the moment that you lose that freedom. Yeah. So like, so, you know, and, and but of course, again, the it changes when we're talking about children who do not have developed brains, uh, yes. completely developed brains. And totally. as we also do know, another important consideration is that we know that there are some uh, very well studied and very well documented harmful impacts on the developing of young brains mm -hmm. uh, with, with social media. We know that it it contributes to body dysmorphia. Mm -hmm. We absolutely know that it contributes to uh, political polarization. That it can that it contributes to the spreading of misinformation. That you know, it, if a if a kid is really young and you haven't spent a lot of time giving them the tools to be able to cr think critically about what's misinformation and what's 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 good information, mm -hmm. that they're going to be more susceptible to that. Although to be fair most boomers are just as susceptible <laughs> to that shit. Or, so, or, yeah, or most people, you know, it's like, it's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, most people, honestly, not even just boomers, you know, yeah. like, but, but yeah. So I think that there's definitely a good argument to be made that it is probably better for there to be limitations on how old a kid can be before they can use social media. Mm -hmm. So now the next question, I think, which, by the way, do, do you and I kind of agree on that? Yeah, I, I think that that's right. I think that that's right. I think I think the conversation typically focuses a lot on the downsides of social media and the risks yeah. and harms. Um, I think it's worth talking about and being aware of some of the benefits of social media because... Yes. Ultimately, the question is like about how do we balance benefits and harms 
And how do we implement a policy that's going to address the harms in a way that is most targeted at them without removing all of these benefits? Yeah. Um, that's the way at least I'm thinking about it because to your point, Nathan, like I think we have less of an argument about a person's right to participate in public life essentially, um, as, a a child. And so yeah. there's just less of a right to do that because there's more of a general interest in protecting kids from harm. Um, so I think it's mostly about that balancing. Yeah. Yeah. So then the next question becomes, what role should the government play in that? Mm-hmm. Because, yeah. again, you, you, we can make the argument that it might be better or it might be worse for a kid at this age or this age or this age to start being on social media. Mm-hmm. But then the question is, is that something that should be regulated by the federal government that should be centralized? Yep. And I think that that's where the calculus becomes much more complicated. Mm. That's where I think I started to, like, I started to figure out where I stood on this mm-hmm. because I was, I was looking at the arguments for and against this. I was looking at, uh, one of the things that I thought was really interesting, there's, there's a Wired article that breaks it down mm-hmm. and discusses some of the arguments that senators who are for it are saying, both Democrats and Republicans, some arguments that, you know, both Democrats and Republicans who are against it are saying. It even talked about how some of these senators have been talking about this within their own families, and mm-hmm. there's been disagreement within their own families sure. about what the right limitations are when it comes to social media. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is a super interesting and super important conversation to have. Mm-hmm. And 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 I'll, I'll tell you, like, you know, I, on the last uh, episode of the podcast, I you know, Jess and I revealed the fact that uh, we are we are expecting. Um, oh, and yeah, 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 yeah. That is that is, that is public. Um, and I was I was actually talking to talking to Jess about this earlier today. We both basically agreed that you know a, around the age of like twelve or thirteen is probably the age in which you know we'll be like, yeah, that's it's fine to start using social media. But prior mm. to that. We're probably going to say, like, I, I don't want you on social media yet. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd, sure. I, because I'll, I think a lot of kids might not understand the, uh, you know, the, the implications of what you post, the fact that some things, some posts might follow you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I sometimes get, um, I sometimes <laughs> get Facebook. memories on Facebook <laughs> of shit that I said when I was like 16 getting dude, over a breakup dude. and I'm just like, Oh fuck dude. What were you even trying to say? Dude, I periodically like, go through and delete the ones that are the worst. <laughs> like I actually, I, I mean to, I got a, I got a post that I apparently said when I was like 16 that the internet saw fit to remind me about where I was like, um, you know, today I was in gym class and I was I was playing basketball, and I kept shooting at the basket. And I kept missing, but every now and then I would get it. But if I didn't try at all, I wouldn't have gotten any oh of them. My and it's like, oh, dude, oh, dude. And like That's at the so time, I, I remembered posting it, and at the time I thought it was the most wholesome thing ever. Yeah. And now I look at it, and I'm like, oh my god. So like, I totally understand wanting to protect kids from that. And mm-hmm. I plan, I honestly, at this point, I'm probably going to protect my own kid from that. Yeah. Like I'm probably going to say, you know, 
until you're 12, I don't want you on Facebook or, mm-hmm. or social media or what. Like, I'm probably planning on doing that. But I think that there is so much disagreement and so much conversation to be had about this. I don't think that the solution should be centralized. I don't think that the government should be the ones that make this decision. I think that this is a decision that maybe, you know, you could you could encourage parents to make decisions. Yeah. But I think that ultimately this is something that should come down to the parents because, you know, parents parents know their kids the best, I mm-hmm. think, in, yeah. in most situations. And I you know, I, I think that there's there's enough disagreement as to how you should handle social media that who are these senators to say what everybody else's approach should be, you know? Mm. So, so yeah, so I have, I have so many thoughts. So I think you're right. I think I agree with you in a few dimensions. One, I think you're, I largely agree that like a one size fits all approach to this kind of thing at this stage where there are studies, but like there's still benefits, right? Yeah. Like, like to your to your point about like in their families they disagree. Like partially, I'm a little skeptical of that, only because like we know that social media is essentially addictive. Yeah, like we know that, and that's a problem. Yeah, yeah, totally. According to a um, study from the American Psychological Association. About 50% of teens report at least one sign of having a clinical dependency on social media. And so, like, to me, that says disagreement around the dinner table is more like disagreement around the dinner table about whether we should be allowed to have drugs as children. It's like, <laughs> it's a little bit less, it's a little bit less of like, oh, well, you know, two people can equally disagree about whether kids should be using this and more, puts it more in the camp of like, a kid's brain is not in the right position to be making a good call about whether they should be using it. To your mm-hmm. point, though, there's no world in which a government ban can replace good parenting yeah, and good decisions as a family. Like yeah. one, one critic of this law said, like, any 12-year-old can get past most age verification. Like yeah. it's like simply not going to be the thing that solves social media. A- another I, thing, I played so many. I played so many online first-person shooters that sure. I was supposed to be eighteen. That that I had to lie about my age for when I was a kid. Yeah, like so many. I was playing them when I was eleven years old. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and like and like another like one of the main reasons behind this bill is trying to draw the connection between social media and mental health crises. Like they specifically in their press releases talk about a CDC study which found that 42% of high schoolers uh, surveyed experienced persistent feelings of sadness or ho- hopelessness over like the year, the single year studied. And 22% seriously contemplated suicide. And those numbers are stunning and horrible especially when, you know, they're juxtaposed to the fact that like overall screen use among teens has gone um has like like just from 2019 to 2021 increased 17%. And so like you're starting to put together a pretty fear-mongery picture about the relationship between social media and mental health, but one critic of this bill said you're not going to solve the the mental health crisis among teens by just banning them from social media. Yeah. In fact, it might make it worse because we talked about like one of the benefits of social media is 
getting access to social connection. One yeah. of the recognized benefits from the APA, who is pretty critical of social media in general, is that it allows people, especially teens that might be ostracized from their local environment, to connect with people that are like them or more yeah. diverse groups of people than they might be exposed to in person. Yeah. I mean, I was an autistic teen in rural mm. Virginia. Yeah. And I didn't know a lot of other autistics. Mm-hmm. But there were there are communities online in which neurodivergent people really thrive. And in fact, in a lot of ways, social media is a is a medium in which it's a lot easier for neurodivergent people to be able to communicate and be part of the conversation yeah. mm. because you know you you don't have to read body language, you don't have to read social cues or mm-hmm. you, you don't have to look people in the eye. Yeah. like or or other things that you're expected to do in conversation you like you when you when you talk to somebody you don't have to prevent yourself from uh from stimming or mm-hmm. masking you can just type and then read the response and <laughs> mm-hmm. it's actually and, and that that's a medium that's a that's a mechanism that makes it a lot easier for neurodivergent people to uh to be able to to thrive and totally. i mean on top of that what about what about LGBT youth? Yes, that, seriously. Like, that live in like rural America. They might be closeted they, everywhere except their social media. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and they might be able to find a community that helps them, you know, accept who they are, helps mm-hmm. them, you know, embrace who they are. And I think if you if you just take that away from them unilaterally, mm-hmm. I I think that that is too much of a one size fits all thing. Like yeah. even if it's a law that benefits 80% of youth. Sure. Well, what about the 20% of youth yeah, that it doesn't benefit? Totally. You know, and for the 80% of youth that these type of limitations would benefit, I think that that should be left up to the parents. Mm-hmm. I think that should be left up to to what the parents think is best for for the kid. Now, the one yeah. thing I will say about this law, like I I disagree about the ban. I disagree with the ban. I disagree with the like you have to require parental consent during this time to to get a social media i disagree with that because i mean you know it maybe maybe it's going to be different now that like more and more parents grew up in the technological age but like i remember when i first started on social media my parents didn't understand a damn thing about it Mm -hmm. and they were just kind of like i i i I doubt i would even be able to get them to figure (laughs) out what the verification process was Mm -hmm. um but but i i think i do agree with banning algorithmic targeting for for people who are under 18. I think I do agree with that. I totally agree with you. <laughs> so <laughs> like so and and I think I think ultimately like the ban is in many now partially I'm like I could go either way cuz it's under 13. 13 is like 12 years is so young. It's so young, but to your point like there are benefits, there are things that that we might get from this and it's cl- it's not clearly a slam dunk that it should be banned. But I totally I think it is entirely a slam dunk that algorithmic boosting mm. should be banned for people under 18. Maybe yes. everyone everywhere, but but that's yeah. a different conversation. But like yeah. the APA was like put out a few statements about this and the things that they discussed as like reasons to ban social media for kids like 18 under 18 are really reasons to mostly ban algorithmic boosting. So like one of them is that, you know, during um, early adulthood is like 
and like pu- basically puberty through early adulthood is like an incredibly important and risky part of like developmental phase. Um, it's, it's a period during which your brain is developing a ton. It's a period where you are craving almost more than ever before social rewards without much of the judgment that comes later in life to determine what you might like what you might be giving up. They crave visibility and attention and positive feedback from from peers. It's just, it is a documented period where you would, are at hypersensitivity for the inputs that, the, or the, like the cravings that social media directly like satisfies in ways that are not beneficial, like you might have if you're, you know, going and having more, you know, quote unquote, like typical non- online experiences or non like social media exclusive experiences. It's also a time when you have lower amounts of judgment relative to later in life for mm-hmm. deciding to step away from social media. And all of this is like exacerbated by algorithmic boosting, which is just an incredibly mm-hmm. effective way to get you to spend tons and tons and tons of time engaging with the platform. You've got incredibly powerful computers that are just pointed at your individual brain, determining the best way to keep you looking at this device. And you're at especially high risk of like being, you know, yeah, like totally addicted to that experience as a, as a teenager. So I totally yeah. agree with you. I, I think it could go further. I think I would love to see a world where social media companies are not allowed to make ad revenue from underage users. If yeah. so, if you're under 18, you're not valuable for in terms of monetary content for a social mm. media company. Mm. I think that could, I could be really I could, powerful. I could get on board with that. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of a it's a um it's a libertarian paternalist thing. We're just going to yeah. set up the incentives such that people can yeah. do what they want, but we we are disincentivizing over-targeting at these particular people. I think ultimately those are the solutions that are going to drive the most benefit and the least detriment. Uh, from like federal legislation, I could I could potentially get on board with that. And I just came up with that one on my own. That's that's that's, <laughs> that's an interesting idea. It's a, yeah. <laughs> okay, we did did we we do we, we did, did the, the thing, thing again. We did, we did the, the thing, thing where we didn't know that we would agree, and then we went and did research, and then we ended up agreeing. <laughs> <laughs> so did I did I sway you at all, or were you already pretty much like yes or like you no did, no I yes? I think you on the did law. sway me. Um, I was, I think I was less convinced that the ban was like a bad idea. Um, I thought it was just kind of like not the best idea, but I think, I think you did sway me on that one. Cool. Yeah. Cool. And actually I, I will say I wasn't completely sure about the algorithmic banning at first. I think that there was, there was a lot of things that you said that kind of like I was, that was the one where I was kind of back and forth on, but there were a lot mm. of things that you said that kind of swayed me on that. Nice. It also just seems like the right role for government to play. Don't yeah, restrict I mean, the, well, the people's individual actions. Restrict corporations' yeah. ability to, yeah. uh, you know, take advantage of people. Yeah. Yeah. So now it's time for a new segment, a miscellaneous What the Fuck? So Nathan, I mean, is it is it still new at this you're point? You're right. It's probably not new. We've like... got to come up with a way to describe it. Now it's time uh, for one of our most miscellaneous segments, a miscellaneous <laughs> one. <the fuck. laughs> 
Well, Michael, we do miscellaneous what the fuck because we already have an asshat of the week and a D-bag, one of which for people who are heinous individuals, one of which for people that make a self-defeating argument. But every now and then we come across a story that's just mm. funny. Yeah. And it's not someone being like heinous. It's not someone being you know, giving a bad argument, but it is something that happens miscellaneously that just makes us go, what the fuck? Yeah. So I, yeah. what the fuck are we, what the fucking this, this week? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So how else to say that? So usually the subject of this particular miscellaneous, what the fuck is actually an asshat. So we're talking oh. about Marjorie Taylor Greene. And the fact that she's made it from... Jewish Space Lasers. Sorry, I, I left out her full name. It's Marjorie her, it's Taylor, official... Jewish Space Lasers Greene. <laughs> yeah, she, she has an official title on this show. Yeah, usually she's an asshat, but she's moderated her views, and is, she's now more of a what the fuck, uh, at least right now. <laughs> is that because of moderating Maybe I'm moderating views? her views. <laughs> so, so in the midst of our country, on the brink of financial disaster... While the House Republicans mm. are preventing us from getting to a deal that would save us from the destruction of incredible value, McCarthy, the Speaker of the House, held a fundraising auction for the uh, National Republican Congressional Committee. During this, uh, this fundraising auction, he auctioned off a tube of his used cherry lip balm. Now, what a fucking ego on that guy. Seriously. It's like, like, I don't understand. You, Kevin McCarthy seriously of thinks all people. that, of all people, you yeah. think that there's some, that there's some dude sitting at his computer in like Montana, like, <laughs> you know what I've always wanted to do? I've always wanted to put something that's been against Kevin McCarthy's lips against my lips. Yeah. I mean, what's even more absurd is it's only just the molecules on the tip. <laughs> so you yeah, get one true. use. Like, <laughs> like, yeah. Like, and then, and then after that, it's just, and imagine that being your brag. Mm. Like, you know, you, you post on Facebook, Hey, guess what I got? I got Kevin McCarthy's like mm. chapstick. Yeah. And, I feel like that's the type of thing where you brag about it and everybody just backs away slowly. Yeah. Like, uh, okay. like cause you'd, you'd have to be an insane person to buy uh, Kevin McCarthy's chapstick. Mm -hmm. You would, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? Well, when he sweetened the pot with uh, being willing to attend a dinner um, for with whichever donor uh, won the chapstick, who wants that either? <laughs> Who wants that either? That might be worse than the chapstick. I'll take the chapstick. <laughs> yeah, I'll take the chapstick if it means I don't have to have dinner with Kevin McCarthy. Yep. So once this pot was sweetened, Marjorie Taylor drew a space laser green, won the bid by placing a $100,000 bid on the cherry chapstick. What? $100,000. Yep. I... I <laughs> people had donated to Marjorie Taylor Jewish Space Lasers Green re-election coffers, and she spent it on used cherry chapstick from Kevin, the Speaker of the House McCarthy. How fucked up is that? A hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. So not only is it a hundred thousand dollars on chapstick. Yeah. Used 
use chapstick. That's like pretty debasing, I feel. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. Yeah. I I'm like I you mentioned this story to me yesterday. Yeah. And like I thought it was weird. I I you didn't mention the number. Yeah. I did not realize bucks. it was a hundred thousand. Jesus Christ, that's like <laughs> Yeah. As we face default. A <laughs> hundred thousand bucks just being passed around. And so, like, yes, it is a miscellaneous what the fuck because what the fuck? They're like Marjorie Taylor drew a space laser green body, used chapstick from the speaker of the house for a hundred thousand dollars. But it's also a what the fuck because they're just passing around campaign donations like willy-nilly. They can donate a hundred thousand dollars to the National Republican Congressional Committee. You can just donate that. What the fuck? This is fucked up. This is like absurd. Like, like imagine if like we had a democracy dollars thing. Everybody had the same amount of money to donate to political candidates. But then what they could do is pass that money around themselves. They could be like, okay, great. We got all these votes from the people in my area. They gave all their democracy dollars to me, so, you know, and that means they, they like me and, they're, and I'm going to go and campaign. But my seat's pretty secure, so I'm going to go ahead and donate this to the people whose seat's less secure. This is, yeah. like, so slimy, and not yeah. just because it's covered in chapstick. Yeah. And also, to be fair, like, Democrats do that shit, too. Sure. And it's not okay yeah. when they do it, either. Totally. But but I've never heard of a Democrat or anybody spend $100,000 on chapstick. Mm-hmm. On Kevin McCarthy's chapstick. Yeah. He's not even one of the fun ones. Yeah. Like he's he's one of the boring ones. He's one of the douchey ones. Mm-hmm. Like While he's, trying to take away one... benefits from from people in order to uh, in order to uh, fund uh, the debt. Like there there are some there are some polarizing figures in politics where you either like him or you hate him. Most Republicans don't even like him. Mm-hmm. No Democrat likes him. What? I wait. So you're I... arguing that they should have picked someone's better to buy the chapstick <laughs> i'm saying that would have made it slightly better like if you would if you had done somebody I, I mean if it if it had been hell if it had been marjorie taylor green selling her chapstick and like you know some other crazy spent a hundred thousand dollars to buy her chapstick i'd be like yep that tracks <laughs> but like kevin mccarthy's chapstick and wait he uses cherry chapstick i know that might be the worst part that just i don't know yeah yeah. Uh, so that is a miscellaneous what the fuck. And now we will end our show as we usually do with our highlights. So Nathan, what's your highlight this week? My highlight this week is that I got to I got to hang out with my nieces mm. uh, for a Memorial Day barbecue on uh, on Monday, which is Memorial Day, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I. Don't know why I had to specify that. Anyways, um, and it was just a lot of fun to see them. You know, we we went outside, we ran around, we played some games. Uh, we did a we did a race mm. in which um, like I, I I gave myself a little bit farther to run, and I ran a lot faster than them. They mm-hmm. still won, wow. and I was and I realized how out of shape I was because like I I ran. I did a I did a really hardcore sprint for like a few uh, a few seconds, mm-hmm. and then afterwards I was like, <laughs> I really need to start biking again. <laughs> so that's a highlight, huh? 
<laughs> I mean, it's because like it's because I mean it, they were so excited that they beat me and they kept gloating mm, and I kept being fair. like I mean it's it's because I gave you a handicap but okay you know <laughs> take the Anyways, loss Nathan <laughs> yeah so Michael what's what's your highlight uh, similarly it's Memorial Day related and family related so I was back in on the East Coast um, around near in New York City. Uh, this past weekend for Memorial Day, I was um, going on a three-day biking and camping trip with um, uh, three of my brothers, which was super fun. It was really exhausting, um, but it was it was really fun. We we rode about 135 miles. We rode up about 6,500 feet of elevation. Um, it was totally exhausting, um, but it was really <laughs> fun. Fun as well. And I just complain. And I just complained about like a two second sprint. <laughs> <laughs> a sprint this, is hard. This, this, this shows you. This shows you who who's in shape and who's not. <laughs> <laughs> so now we'll thank the amazing people that make this show possible. So thank you to our patrons Taylor Bloom, Jerry Deviller, Fade Out Scoop, Kyle Chaska, and Tobias Janssen for making this show possible. Thank you to our incredible editor Kayla for all they do to put this show on the air. If you want to listen to more uh, of the Perspectrum, you want to see our faces, you can go to YouTube.com and search the Perspectrum. Um, and thank you, dear listener, for uh, listening to the Perspectrum. And you can hear from us again next week. <laughs>